We're going to be in chapter 21 tonight. Acts 21. I thought I'd try to get into 22 because that's Paul's message. Um, But we'll see. I guess we'll have to kind of feel our way through that tonight and see how far we go. All right. Let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the opportunity to come and spend time together, um, um, fellowshipping, worshiping you, singing, praying, um, but also in, in your word. Where that's, that's what changes us. It's your word that changes us from the inside out, and works on areas that, well, they need to be worked on. So God, we pray that you'd help us tonight as we just go through Paul's life and his heart and his desire to serve you and a love for his people that I don't necessarily understand completely, but that's his calling, and um, he knows it, and he is all in. And uh, I just pray that by the end of tonight's study, we'd be all in. In Jesus' name, amen. It's an amazing chapter. So far, we've hit upon, um, as we've gone through these last two, maybe two chapters, that the Holy Spirit is, is warning Paul, not necessarily warning him and letting him know. It's like a word of knowledge for him. And, and he knows that, that uh, Jerusalem has some interesting things waiting for him. And uh, it doesn't bother him. He, in fact, last week he said, none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself. It, it, that's not a threat. You know? he's, he's told in a couple of his letters, to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. And for me, he says, um, I know it's more needful for me to be here with you, but for me to be in heaven, that's the goal. That's, the, that's crossing the finish line. And that guy's been beat up more times than Muhammad Ali, you know, and, and he's ready. He's like, I'm ready to go. Anytime you want to take me home, it's, it's almost as if he's doing it on purpose, you know. He's got a mission. Although he's been called to the Gentiles, he loves the Jewish people. He loves his, 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 his countrymen, he calls them. Um, and we're going to see that love expressed. And I, I hope that's what we pick up on tonight is this love, because that is the mystery for me as I study this chapter. And it's embarrassing to admit, but I don't know that I have that kind of passion for a certain group of people, individuals I do, but for a whole mess of people, even my country in some ways. I mean, I want them all saved. But I don't know if I'd go so far as like Paul says, which we'll hit on tonight, that he would go to hell so that they could all be saved. I mean, that is so Christ-like, because that's exactly what Christ did. I'll go to the cross so they don't have to. It's just a beautiful picture, and it's wonderful to watch. Last week, uh, we left off with them falling upon Paul's neck and kissing him, sorrowing most of all that they weren't going to see him again. This was the pastor's conference. And as he gave his beautiful message to all these leaders of churches from the area, um, they're broken at the fact that that fellowship's not going to be there anymore, that their, their buddy isn't going to be there, their mentor, their, their, their father in the faith, you know, isn't going to be there anymore for them. Um, but he gives them excellent, strong wisdom for them to hold on to. None of these things move me, so none of these things should move you, you know. Um, don't be moved. It's so important to just not be moved. Um, there's so much pressure to be moved today. Um, and it, it's, it's becoming more, I'm becoming, I think, I'm trying not to, but more cantankerous in my faith, you know. I don't want to be the guy, get off my lawn, kids, you know, that kind of immovability, you know. I want to be loving and compassionate and soft and all that, but I also want to be, when I, to know the difference between 
um, just misunderstandings or things like that versus someone who's really trying to pressure you off your course, you know, to know the difference. And, uh, and to treat both respective of their positions, you know, uh, some is just from ignorance, others on purpose, and to know the difference. And, and uh, this is just such a great example. None of these things move me. Don't be moved, brothers. Don't stop giving them the word of God, because that will be the temptation as I leave. Um, and it is. It is. So chapter 21, verse 1, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos. And following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. And finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. Uh, when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left, sailing or sailed to Syria, and landed uh, at Tyre. For there was a ship. For there the ship was to unload her cargo. And finding disciples, we stayed there seven days. They told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, I think we'll have clarity on that in verse 12 when we get to 12, so hold on to that thought. Um, When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city. And we knelt down on the shore and prayed. Uh, When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and and they returned home. Um, Beautiful. When we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to, uh, and I don't think I know how that's pronounced, Tol. Ptolemus, I'm guessing the P is not pronounced, but maybe it is. We'll say Ptolemus. How's that? Ptolemus. Um, cool name. Greeted the brethren and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. And I want to pause there. I know it's right in the middle of a verse, but that's a great place to stop because Philip comes up. So uh, Luke is giving us the rundown of the trip. Here's where we went. He's, you know, there's the itinerary. Good man. Thank you for that, you know, Luke. We wouldn't know otherwise. We kind of piece it together from the letters. But for the most part, this is really helpful to get our timeline down for his missionary trip. So thank you for that. Um, and the fact that they, he, he even mentions it, and Luke mentions this several times. It's very important to him. And they told us again by the Spirit that we're not supposed to go to Jerusalem or that Paul's not supposed to go. So you know Luke's hard on the matter. I mean, Luke is the guy, uh, he, he's the old guy in Rocky, you know, that puts the stool out for him, you know, and he's trying to keep Paul alive. That's all he's trying to do, you know. He's got to get back in there. Cut the, ooh, that's the worst scene in the movie history, I think, when they cut the eyelid. Anyway, and he sends him back in, and he's been trying to patch up Paul and keep him alive and keep him ministering. But Paul says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to Jerusalem. He's like, all right, you know. And so he keeps documenting it here, and they told him again not to go, you know. And I think that's interesting. It shows a love is what it does. You know, some see it as rebellion from Paul, or some see it as, I don't know what they see it as, but what I see is a bunch of people that are heartbroken that that's what's waiting Paul. Not that, and we'll get into it here in verse 12, but um, there's a love there for this man. We don't want you to go away. And he seems like one of the hardest guys to get along with. You know, you read Paul and you read how rough and gruff he is and how harsh and how um, he's just very, very intense when it comes to the gospel, which is good. I mean, how do you not, you not be intense? But you don't see him necessarily as you read and his, you know, his struggle that he had with Barnabas and, 
and and Mark and and that that you know we don't want you know we don't need that kid here that, that roughness. It seems like he'd be a difficult guy, a brother to get along with. You, you appreciate him, appreciate his boldness. You appreciate him being out there and on fire and all that, and glad he's out there doing his thing. But I don't know that you'd go on a camping trip with the guy, you know, kind of thing. But this shows us that he is that kind of guy. It shows us the other half, because no matter what Luke's writing about him, what we're reading and what we're seeing, the actual eyewitness accounts of these people falling on his neck and kissing him and, and, and crying that they're going to miss him, and all, there is way more to Paul than what we're let, what, what's led on. That's why these emotions are so important to see. This is a love for him. This is a caring for him. And... Um, it's interesting, wherever Paul goes, the Holy Spirit is just alive and on fire and out loud, you know? There's something about that. You can get around people that make the Holy Spirit allow. He's allowed. He's allowed to move, and he's also allowed, you know, both. Um, and then there are some that seem to quench the Spirit. It's like, mm, you know, it's toned down. It's not as loud. He's not as vocal. He's, it's more subtle. Whenever Paul's around, I mean, they were just passing around his apron and, and handkerchiefs that he used that day, and the Holy Spirit was using that, you know? There's something about his life that made it just explode. And so wherever he went, there they were. The believers, just like the Spirit are telling us, you know, that you're going to have chains and tribulations. Okay, all right. Well, they land in Caesarea. Let's skip down because we're going to handle that um, this warning about Jerusalem a little bit later here. He lands in Caesarea and runs into Philip the Evangelist. You know who Philip is, right? I mean, we've connected the dots. Philip is, and it says, he's one of the seven. And in other words, when the church just got started and some of the um, Jewish widows, uh, Hellenist Jews, their widows weren't being taken care of, they had to find seven men full of the Holy Spirit to go ahead and make sure that they're getting their daily distribution. Philip's one of those guys. He was a waiter at the beginning. And then... The next thing we see is Philip ministering during this huge revival. Tons of people getting saved. And then later on, he gets, we don't know how, but taken up into the air and landed over here. And, and, and after the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved, I mean, this guy is, that's this guy. It's 20 years later. Do you know how he got to Caesarea and why he's there? Because Paul... Saul at the time was a crazy man who had letters from the church or letters from the synagogue or the temple, and he was out to go kill every Christian out there and scattered them all, including Philip. Philip gets scattered all the way to Caesarea, and 20 years later, Paul is sitting at his table. I love that irony. I love the fact that it reminds me, when, remember when Paul was blinded and he had to get taken to the guy and the guy's like, are you sure you want me to lay hands on him, Lord, and heal him? Isn't this the guy that's putting everybody in jail? You know, it's just that, it's that moment where it comes full circle. This is my persecutor, and now he's my brother and actually a teacher and a church planter and a missionary and a what in the world, what kind of meal would that have been, you know? You just don't know what God's going to do. How things come full circle, the worst enemies, the people that you never, ever, ever thought in a million years come full circle to, I mean, not only being saved, but not only being on fire, not only being vocal about their faith, but I mean, it's Paul of all people. 
and they're sitting there with Philip and how God orchestrates all that. Talk about working everything out for good for those who love Christ Jesus. You know how guilty Paul felt about all the things that he did. And here it works out that God has prepared a table for him, you know, 20 years later. You're going to need this guy 20 years later. So while you're unsaved, I'm going to have you spook him so that he moves down there so that 20 years from now, when you need a place to stay, he'll be right where he needs to be. I mean, that kind of coordination is just mind-blowing to me. Those divine interventions that God does. The wake of God's blessing, even when we're in sin, how does that work? But God does it. And I just love this. It's so important to see. Acts 6 is when he becomes a waiter, Philip. Acts 8 is when the persecution begins and puts him in this place right here until finally they're all sitting there at the table. And you remember that one time I was chasing you out of town? You know? Is that what Saul? Hi, it's it's me. (laughs) Oh, you know? I remember running from you. Yeah, you're going to kill me, you know, kind of thing. I love it. I don't mean to make much of that, but I, I, I just, our sight, our horizontal view is just, it's just very limited. And the more I read and the more I study it, the more I realize how, you know, how we see, kind of walk in the spirit every single day. And I, the things we do today in the Holy Spirit sets things up for decades from now. It isn't about today necessarily. It is. I mean, you got to do your thing today. But the things, if we're obedient in the Holy Spirit, sets things up decades later. If we have decades later, I don't know how much longer we're going to be here, but let's suppose we do. It sets things up and how important that is um, and how neat it is when God brings it about. And then everybody's just sitting there at the table going, God knew, and he gets all the glory for it. All right, let's finish up here in verse, um, not the chapter, but this section anyway. Now, this man... Uh, this, this Philip, he had four virgin daughters who prophesied. So they were prophetesses in there. And so I don't know if you knew that. Let's pause on that for a minute. Uh, gift of prophecy, all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for everybody. And these were four virgin daughters of his that all prophesied, you know. Um, and as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. I, I'm, I pause there only because, um, talk about not being very efficient, God has four prophetesses sitting at the table with Paul, but he brings a prophet down over here to come give this message to him. He got four right here, you know. God likes to work things like that. And I pay attention to those little things like that in scriptures because it isn't always efficiency that God wants. In fact, I rarely, we love efficiency. We love to pay the bottom dollar. We love to do this. We love to do that, you know. We like to make sure that that's the best and that's the greatest and we're not going to do anything else. And, oh, we like it, you know. And God is just so extravagant. He goes, I don't know, Agabus isn't doing anything. Let's bring him down here because I want him to be the one. Maybe Agabus needed to be used. I mean, we don't know the story behind it. I don't like to guess, but I like to think outside the box in the sense that if God wants to do something with somebody clear over here, oh, well, why doesn't he just do it with this guy over here? I don't know. I don't know why he doesn't use the person right sitting right at the table with Paul. But instead he brings Agabus down. Maybe it's because it's Paul. 
Maybe it's because he's a man and he wants another man to prophesy over him instead of a woman prophesying over him. Maybe, I don't know what the deal is. I just take note of those things. God isn't efficient, and that's okay. And I need to be. Lear- I need to learn, well, I'm not very efficient, but I need to learn to be okay with that, not being efficient, not being bottom dollar. I think we need to be, um, you know, we like to be good stewards, but good stewards doesn't necessarily mean be cheap. You know, um, being good stewards means being open to whatever God wants to do with his stuff and with his, my time or our time and let him have it completely. That's being a good steward. Being a good steward is, is being ready to hand out stuff and do stuff and move and, you know, stop and everything. So Agabus, I love it. Brings down this Agabus. He came down to Judea, and when he had come down, come, <laughs> when he came to us, Luke says, he took Paul's belt, bound his own hands and feet. Didn't bind Paul up. Didn't want to freak him out and cause some like, you know, PTSD from Paul. You know, he ties his own hands and feet up and says, binds his own hands and says, "Thus says the Holy Spirit: So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles." Now. Do you hear a warning in that? That's my point. No, sorry. I didn't mean to lead you in the wrong direction. There is no warning there. It's facts. That's all it is. Hey, Paul, whoever owns this belt is going to be bound when they get to Jerusalem. Not look out. If you continue on this path, this is what's going to happen to you. None of that. This is the same word, and that's why I like the quote. I think it's very important because this is the same quote that's been given to every prophet up until now. Thus says the Holy Spirit, quote, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. All the, this is a word of knowledge. Here's what's going to happen to you. Verse 12 says this, Now, when we heard these things, when we heard the fact, when we heard the quote from the Holy Spirit, we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go up to Jerusalem. That's their interpretation. That's their thoughts. Well, you don't want that to happen to you. Why not? Paul says. That's exactly what he says. Don't break my heart. Why wouldn't I want that to happen to me? I'm ready to die. Just because the Holy Spirit quotes, so shall the Jews, we heard those things and we said, don't go up to Jerusalem. And Paul's response is beautiful, full of love. Why do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. That's a nice way of saying, you guys aren't interpreting this right. This is where I'm supposed to go. This is my calling. This is what I'm intended to do. The Holy Spirit said this just to let me know. He's preparing him. He's getting ready for what's about to take place. In this same chapter, we're going to get to verse 32, which is a horrible verse. I hate the verse. makes me sick to my stomach to think of verse 32. And we'll get there when we get there. But God is preparing him for verse 32 by letting him know this is going to happen when you get there. This is what's going to happen. He's been faithful to come alongside of him and say, you know what, no one's going to hurt you here in Corinth. You, can, you don't have to be afraid. On the other hand, when you get to Jerusalem, this is going to happen to you. I appreciate that honesty. Thank you, God, for letting me know. It prepares him. 
the most important part of this whole section right here is the fact that Paul says, what do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? Your tears, your emotion, your love for me is breaking my heart. Because I know how much you love me, and I know that. Remember in one of the letters he writes, you know, he's got an eye problem. We think that's one of the his thorn in the flesh. We're not so sure, but he's got some kind of eye problem. And he looks at him and he says, you guys would have given me your eyes if you could. If you thought it would work, you would have given me your eyes. He understood that about them. That's an amazing relationship that he has with these people. What a beautiful, beautiful love that these people have for him to the point where Paul says, I know, I know, I know you don't want me to go. I know you don't want this to happen to me. What do you mean by breaking my heart? Don't you know that I'm ready to do this? I want to go. And so here's the, here's the response and needs to be our response and our understanding is verse 14. Because this is Paul's calling. This is Paul. He hasn't stopped hearing from the Lord. He's still hearing from Jesus. The Holy Spirit is still speaking to him. He's not so tone deaf to God that everybody has to come alongside him and say, you're an idiot. You don't, don't you know what's going to happen to you? They're not like that. Verse 14 tells us, so when he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, the will of the Lord be done. Now, do we believe the will of the Lord was done? I do. I do. Because that was their prayer and that was their heart. After those days, we packed up or packed and went to Jerusalem. Here we go. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and, um, and brought with them a certain uh, Manassan of Cyprus, an early disciple uh, with whom we were to lodge. Um, in 2 Corinthians, or 2 Kings, excuse me, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, we have another moment where a word of knowledge was being given to the school of the prophets. Um, Elisha was still following Elijah around, still kind of a, a sort of a um, mentorship, sort of, and he passed the mantle on to him earlier on. Well, here's what happened. Now, the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you not know that the Lord will take away our master from over you today? He said, yes, I know. Keep silent. Now, why were they telling him that? Hey, don't you know that your master is going to be taken away today? Yeah, I know. His response, his, it's all, because there's an exclamation point there. He's like, I know. I know. You know? Okay, well, we're, they're, they're excited. The school of the prophets, they're excited anytime they get a prophecy. You know how they are. I got a prophecy, you know. The, the Lord told us, you know. I got it. I know. We all know. <laughs> but thanks for sharing. And then Elijah said to him, uh, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. And he says, as the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. No way, Elisha says. Now, the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you today? He says, yeah, I know. Keep silent. It's already hard enough knowing this is going to take place, but you telling me this and you trying to, what, do you, what are we supposed to do about, what are we supposed to do with that information? Elisha's like, what are we supposed to do with that information? Run? Hide? Avoid? No, it's God. What are you going to do? God wants to do this. He's going to do this. When we get to that place of Elisha and Elijah and Paul, and honestly, everybody else, because they all get on board and figure it out, well, let's let the Lord's will be done. That's when peace can overwhelm and ministry can take place. 
We're into that place where it's like, whatever you want to do, God, whatever you want to do makes no difference. Take me, don't take me, use me, don't use me, but whatever you want to do, we're available for you. What a, I, I, I stop trying to manipulate my life. I'm no longer trying to control the aspects of my life and make this happen and that happen and do this and do that and pull that string and yank that lever and try to work it all out the way I think it's supposed to work out. We just kind of just, ah, you know. Ever watch those old guys when they sail those, like, those ships, those big ships in the olden days, you know? Big three-mast ships and all that. And there's, you know, the movies. All I know is movies. I've never really seen anybody do it. But they're, you know, they grab the rope, and the guy goes flying in the air because the sails come flying down, and they're trying to wait it. And they're, and they're all pulling stuff and doing this. And they're trying to master this boat in this intense storm. And I keep thinking of those guys when they're on the when they're on the, in the, the Galilean Sea and the storm's rising, and you can see them. I mean, it wasn't that big of a boat back then. There were littler boats back then. But Jesus is sound asleep on the back of the boat. Don't you know we're dying? What? You know? You still, you guys, you know, you little faith. I think that's what we're seeing here. Just to get to that place in our lives where we can stop yanking on the ropes and pulling the levers and, and, and let the Holy Spirit, who's like the wind, drive us. Oh, so beautiful. You can enjoy the ride. You can sleep. You can rest. You don't have to manipulate anymore. So, they're finally there. They're getting there. Verse 17, and when we had come to Jerusalem, this is a really disappointing part of the Bible, but I'll get through it. And when we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. Okay, so far so good. On the following day, Paul went in to, with us to James. James is the leader of the church. Okay, so if there's a pope, there isn't. If there's a pope, James is the pope. Okay, not, not Peter. Anyway, James is the leader, and all the elders were present. And when he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles. You know, oh, you guys should see what God's doing among the Gentiles. You should see the people getting saved. You should see, you know, oh, they said, oh, that's great. And, <laughs> uh, and when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said to him, right after he tells them all about the Gentiles, there's their response. You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they've been informed about you, (laughs) that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children or to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. That's so disappointing to me. Paul, give us a praise report. Yeah, 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 whatever. Anyway, now that you're here, that's so frustrating to me. You know how many Jews have got saved around here? That's great, the Gentiles. No offense, but they don't care about the Gentiles. The Gentiles make them mad. The fact that the Gentiles are even saved is an irritation to them. Oh, that's great. I'm so glad about the Gentiles. Anyway, these Jews got saved. And they've heard you're here in town. And so we're going to have to do something about this because they're not happy with you. And so his whole time here in Jerusalem 
is going to be spent here for until he gets start getting beat up in verse 32. Um, is trying to appease these people. And this is where it breaks my heart. Because you start to get a sense of Paul. He has such love for the Jewish people, he's going to do it. He's going to do everything that he wrote to the Galatians not to do, the Corinthians not to do, and we're going to get the scriptures on those. And he's going to do it because he's going to become all things to all men because he has such a love for these people. He wants them to get to know their Savior for the first time. And I'm so wanting him to just say, you know what, and kick the dust off his feet and leave, but he doesn't because he loves them so much. I don't have that. I have that for people. I would have a hard time going through this right here. I guess that's what's most frustrating to me. Because as I read this, I'm like, yeah, no. I go to the Gentiles. If you guys don't want it, then don't have it. I'll be content with the Gentiles who are overjoyed with Jesus Christ and the freedom that he offers them. But you legalists, if that's what you want, you can have it all day long, but he doesn't. It breaks my heart. Here's what we need you to do, Paul. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses. The missionary coming off the mission field. Pay their expenses like... You remember, sorry, I'm not happy with these guys. He showed up with how many guys who were carrying money bags from all the churches that Paul started? You understand that? And that money is sitting there on the table. Oh, it's great to hear about all the Gentiles. By the way, we need you to pay for all. How about we just take it from the money we just dropped off in your lap from all these churches? Sorry. And I don't mean to put this on you guys, but I'm having a hard, I had a hard time when I was studying this. And every time I get to this point, it's like, I don't understand these guys. And may God help me understand these people. Take them, be purified with them, and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which were informed concerning you are nothing, but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves um, from things offered to idols, from blood, from strangled, and from... And we've read that. Remember that. That was back in Acts 15 that they did all this. But do they remember the rest of Acts 15? When they decided at the end of that spiel that they're just going to give them a letter to say, okay, you Gentiles, what are we going to do with the Gentiles? Well, let's just write them this letter. Keep away from these things and you ought to be okay. They were also instructed in that message that we as Jews have to be saved like they as Gentiles. We have to be saved like they are. We have to be as free as they are. We have to let go and understand that Jesus has fulfilled the law. That's what the book of Hebrews is all about, to tell people like this, the Hebrews, to not be Hebrew anymore. There is no more Jew. There is no more Gentile. There's no difference anymore, but they're still making a distinction. I get a little fired up, okay? This is what Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, and he's upset because they've accepted Christ, and as soon as he leaves town, the Judaizers come in behind him and start telling them about the law and that they've got to be circumcised. And you have to do. So he has to write a letter back to the Galatians because they're believing this stuff. And here's what he says to them, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? 
that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect in the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain? Indeed, it was in vain. He's absolutely frustrated with it. Here's what he's saying. You guys were so happy to receive this beautiful grace that God has given you, this mercy, this forgiveness of sins, because he loves you and he set his love upon you. And you received that and the burden was lifted. And here come the Jewish guys behind you with the law saying, okay, now that you're free, let me put this yoke on you. And now you're going to be super duper saved is the idea. Because once you start fulfilling the law, super duper saved. You know, you start keeping the Sabbath, super duper. You start keeping the dietary laws, super duper. And Paul's like, what are you doing? You can't perfect what God has already made perfect. You have been imputed to you the righteousness of Christ. You've been given freely this robe to wear that says you are saved. And as far as the east is from the west, I will never remember your sins. And you think you can add to that and accessorize this beautiful salvation with the law, with your works? Oh, so frustrating. So Paul walks into this situation, and they have not obviously, and this is what they've heard, is what you wrote to the Galatians. We heard what you said about circumcision, that it avails you nothing. That whether you're circumcised, whether you're not circumcised, doesn't make any difference. We heard about that. Yeah? Yeah? You leaders of the church, do you not understand that part of your salvation? They don't. So I want you to take these guys and pay for them and and all. So, verse 26, Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Paul had companions that would go with him, two young guys. Uh, Timothy was one of them. And Timothy was half Jewish. And so Timothy, he said, you got to be circumcised. I know your dad's Greek, but your mom's not. And so because they know that your dad's Greek, they're going to think you're uncircumcised. So they're not going to be able to receive the word of God from you. So you need to get circumcised. So he got circumcised. On the other hand, um, I've lost his name. Titus, thank you. Wasn't. He was all Gentile. And so he says, no, 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 you don't have to be circumcised because they know you're Gentile. You're not Gentile. But Timothy, in order for you to break through to these Jewish people, they can't receive from you. You can't come into the temple, by the way. You need to get kind of Jewishized. You need to get circumcised. It's like, all right, I'll do it. You know, that's what's happening here. He has come to Jerusalem to tell all the Jewish people, I mean, you, this is it. You're going to all hear about the gospel. And the first thing he hears is they really don't want you here. They've heard about what you've been saying. They're not going to receive anything from you, so you need to do this. Okay, I'll go through the rites. I'll go through the rituals. I'll go through all these things. I'll pay for these guys. If they're going to get saved, what? Well, here's the response. Now, when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, these guys are the ones that have been following him around, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd. 
and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. But Luke's is writing that, saying he didn't. We know better than that. But because they saw him walking with Trophimus, he must have brought him into the temple. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, Gentiles can come into the temple. They can go to the outer courts. That's, that prayer time, that place is for them. But that's not what they're talking about. They thought he brought them all the way in. And so that's their response. There he is. And all the city was disturbed. And the people ran together and seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple. And immediately the doors were shut. And they think this is holiness right here. They think this is holiness. Oh, God, we're so sorry. We're so sorry we let that crazy man Paul in here. We shut the doors. We closed it all down, shutting church. Keep them out. Keep the wicked people out, you know, this whole thing. This is sickening here. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, okay, so verse 31, so you understand, they're starting to be, the crowd is beating Paul. Okay, they're beating him right now. Now, as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander. How long does it take for news to get from the crowd all the way to the commander? I don't care how far he is. It's too far. Because while the news is going for, hey, everybody's upset. What's the the response time? He immediately took soldiers and centurions. He gathers his troops together and runs down to them. So there's some distance. They've got to run. They're not walking. They're running. I don't know how long it took, three, five, 10, 15 minutes for that news to get full circle. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. I don't know how long it was, but they've been beating him the whole time. Which is frustrating to me because, first of all, he's a good guy. And people are just mean and crazy, you know, and they get stirred up that way. But they're beating him. And they don't stop beating him until they see that they're going to, you know, the soldiers show up. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked, who is, who is this guy? What has he done? And some of them among the multitude cried one thing and some another. It's a typical, it's a, I don't know. I think he's that Egyptian that started a big brouhaha down there, you know, which is what, okay. He's a criminal. They just caught a guy for us. You know, it's a citizen's arrest kind of moment. It's a. So when they could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. They were still trying to grab him and tear him apart. For the multitude of people followed after, crying out, away with him, kill him, is what they meant, kill him. Because he was being taken away, that's not what they meant, you know. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? What? Aren't you that Egyptian guy? Yeah, no, I'm not the Egyptian guy that led 4,000 assassins, you know? It's funny how accusations is all it takes. Just an accusation. And we have to be really careful about that today. Because as much as we'd love to see a lot of things canceled, 
There needs to be due process. We have to make sure we're not like these guys in this crowd. Oh, yeah, but I'm sure, I know, I know they're guilty. You don't know that. None of us do. Fine, research, find out. Let's do an investigation. Let's make sure. But don't just get to this point. I think, that, you know, they're a liberal. You know, they're from the left. They watch CNN. <laughs> Crucify them. We got to be careful about that. You know, I, I, I'm going to bring up a sore subject because I like to do that. And I'm kind of stirred up right now. But I'm all for looking at the flight logs who went to Lolita Island and all that stuff. But, you know, you got to be careful about that. Maybe something didn't happen every time. I mean, you know that on one of the first flight logs was Billy Graham? I mean, we're looking at the flight logs and we're saying, they all know, kill them all. What? Be careful about that. You know? Let's find, let's figure it out and find out and let's get some more information on that. But you can't just look at a flight log and say that, Kill them all. This is dangerous stuff right here. We got to be above that stuff and beyond that. So I'm all for finding out the truth. Absolutely. But let's make sure we're finding out the truth. You know. And get to it. Can you speak Greek? Yeah. I'm a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia. A citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to this people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hands to the people, and when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. And that's where we have to stop today. I know. Like, oh, what did he say? <laughs> you know what? He, it's a great, it's great. Uh, spoiler alert, they don't listen. They go crazy at the end of his speech. He doesn't even get to the end of it. He mentions... Um, well, what does he mention? It's right. Uh, um, I, it, it, here's where they shut him up. Depart, for I will. Jesus told me to go to the Gentiles. And they exploded on him, and they stopped listening to him at the part because they brought the word, the dirty word Gentiles. Um, and so we'll get into that next, well, yeah, next week we'll get into that. Here's the thing for me, and I want to leave off with this. Paul is, wants to stand on the stairs and, and give it a shot. I mean, they were just beating him to a pulp. I'm not exactly friendly with people been beating me for, I mean, I know the barracks are right there, so maybe it wasn't as long as I made it out to be. Maybe it was five, ten minutes before they actually got through the crowd and grabbed Paul, because you know he's in the middle of a group of people, and you know how hard it is to break through and, and to get all that, and then they finally stopped beating him, so maybe it wasn't as long. Maybe it was five, ten minutes tops. That'd be enough for me to not want to talk to him anymore, though, personally, but he doesn't. He says, this is my chance. Don't take me away yet. This is my opportunity to share the gospel. And he starts sharing Jesus with the whole crowd. It's amazing. That's love. That's a love that Jesus has. That's a love that Paul has got from the Holy Spirit inside of him and what Jesus has done for him. He can appreciate their anger and their rage. Paul comes from a place where he knew, and that's how he started his, his trek or his journey towards Jesus Christ, was in rage. I was more zealous than anybody. I had letters. They were all sitting around. We told them to stop talking about Jesus. I'm like, stop telling them. Give me letters. I'll stop them. And he went out, out killing to kill, jailing to jail. So he understands this crowd's anger. He understands their rage. And he's hoping that he's going to be able to speak 
and they're going to get saved. And I, I love him for that. You know, I love Paul for that. What a great person. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul and his heart. Some of us are going to go into these uh, Christmas and New Year's with, uh, well, their opportunities. Um, maybe we have been beat in the past. Maybe we have been hurt. Maybe there have been things that have been said that are just hard to forgive and forget. And um, there's such a great example here in our brother Paul, who loved you um, and loved people um, and desperately wanted people to be saved from hell. Not that they just agree with him, not that they just take his point of view about Jesus, but he was trying to save his countrymen from where they were headed, and that was hell. So, Lord, help us to have that eternity in mind when we're speaking to people, when we're counting the cost or when we're keeping our tally of the wrongs against us, Lord, that we'd remember our purpose here is to be ambassadors for you because people are going to hell without you. Help us to share your truth and your love with those around us, God. And they may not listen, and they may not hear, and they may just become more enraged when we talk about it. But Lord, help us never to lose that love for them, even though they don't have a love for us. That we'd have a love for them, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, be glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a wonderful Christmas. I'll see you uh, Christmas Eve, Friday night, 7 o'clock. That's when it starts.